Welcome to Adventurous Investor in Conversation. Uh, I'm delighted to have Henry Sanderson with me today. Um, and he's got a fantastic new book out called Vault Rush, The Winners and Losers in the Race to Go Green. Highly recommend it. Um, Henry, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Henry, I, I'm going to sort of look at, go through some of the chapters and look at the chapters. But I just yeah. want to ask you a kind of big $64 trillion question first. Uh, it comes in two parts, really. Uh, we've got this energy transition on its way. Uh, we're all going to be using a lot more uh, electrified power. Yeah. Uh, we're probably going to be using a hell of a lot more batteries unless some other technology comes along. Um, but I suppose this open, this leads open the question whether or not, um, A, we're going to be able to make the transition. Is the demand for batteries and all the raw materials that go into batteries over the next 10, 20 years just going to increase so much versus our processing power, refining capacity, mining capacity, it, that we might not actually have enough materials to make the transition. And even if we do, it's effectively, a, the Chinese have really got it sewn up, haven't they? Yeah, good question. Um, I think we can make the transition, um, but there's a couple of risks coming out at the moment that suggest that we need to invest um, heavily in this supply chain. And this is why I wrote the book, which is that, let's not just obsess about Tesla and um, electric vehicles. Let's be aware of this whole supply chain. Um, open our eyes to what's going on so that we can bring forth the investment um, that's needed, um, especially in Europe and the US. So I'm not saying that this transition can't happen. You know, there's probably enough raw materials in the Earth's crust. Yeah. But what we need to do is to, to invest and to mobilize resources. And what we're seeing now is that um, raw material prices, especially for lithium, have gone up a lot, which is increasing uh, battery prices, which is increasing the cost of electric vehicles. But what we want is for electric vehicles to go to go down in price. Yeah. And we're at great risk now of seeing EV prices go up um, and internal combustion engine car prices go up and people might just keep their old, uh, most polluting car for longer, right? So it's the worst possible situation. So we need to get battery prices down. Um, but that that involves being aware of the supply chain and the investment needs. Um, and it's not a question anymore of saying, oh, China will do it. Um, let's let someone else do it. No, we need to do it. And we need to do it now. That's the sort of message um, of, of my book. I, I suppose that I suppose that the narrow question is if looking at the current processing capacity and the refining capacity, and the giga, giga factories being planned, it will come back to them in a minute. Yeah. I suppose I just want to keep pressure. It, 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 at the current capacity that we've got, we, we, what kind of quantum do we need to increase from where we are now? Are we talking kind of like, you know, over the next 10, 20 years, we've got to do a gentle doubling, or are we talking quite a big quantum, i.e. we've got to increase investment across the piece by five tenfold? Yes. So, um, I mean, if you look at the, the gigafactory um, investments, you know, we saw about 160 billion, I think, pledged in gigafactories um, last year. Um, so on the sort of battery plant side, at least from the announcements um, and especially announcements in China, it looks like, you know, we're on track, right? You know, obviously that month, the pledges need to be converted into, into hard um, cash, but it, it's smaller markets like... Uh, you know, like lithium, where the, where the challenges yeah. are, um, yeah. you know, lithium market, you know, lithium demand growing at around 25% to 30% a year, um, demand will double by 2030. So that's the sort of um, bottleneck um, that we're seeing. But it, but these numbers, 
you know, obscure another fact, which is we need to build low carbon um, supply chains. That's another issue. Yep. And also we've got this big geopolitical shift going on at the moment, right? Where, you know, we're talking about decoupling from China. We're talking about, um, you know, what I think one one investment bank calls globalization, you know, slowing down <laughs> of, of globalization, right? And, and the West is... It's interesting because they're saying um, we want to build a separate supply chain from China. We don't rely on China before the West has actually begun to build its own supply chain. So we're saying to Chinese, we don't want to rely on you. Meanwhile, give us more batteries and give us more uh, lithium. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's this complicated number of factors, you know, where we need a sort of Western supply chain, a low carbon supply chain, Um you know, so it's not a simple matter of looking at total total numbers. Okay, so let's just let's move move piece by piece. Let's talk about lithium first. Um, I suppose most people, when they think about lithium, they think it comes well. I suppose it comes out of the ground, but quite often it comes via different ways. There are different ways of getting lithium. Um, now, most of that, if you talk to anybody who's passing interest, assumes it all comes from Chile. Um, now there are other sources of lithium around the planet. Um, is that is this is that a, 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 a supply chain bottleneck there that effectively we're all reliant upon a small number of out of output from from Chile and a couple of I think there's a couple of mines elsewhere around the world. Was that the wrong picture? No. So what's happened is um, Chile has actually lost its dominance um, okay. in lithium that it had in Australia. Um, okay. has come to the fore as, as the largest producer of lithium. But the problem is that all this lithium is sent to China to be, yes. to be processed. processed. Um, and also it's a much higher carbon footprint than, than that in Chile. Um, so what we're seeing now is a lot of investment in, in new countries. Argentina is one, um, okay. Africa is another, another area, and also in China domestically. So the market is highly concentrated at the moment because you've got uh, Chile, and then you've got Australia, China, who are sort of linked, um, like an iron ore, right? It's linked. Um, um, so, so the problem is, is that we need new lithium sources, but we also need new lithium processing um, outside China. And, and that's a fundamental bottleneck because it's probably going to be more expensive um, and it's going to take longer to build that refining and processing outside outside China. So the lithium the, market is uh, diversifying. You know, that's I'm not the processing. I've, I've sort of been aware yeah. of that. To, to what degree are the Chinese dominant in processing? Yeah, they're they're, they're highly um, dominant. You know, they're they're really highly dominant. Um, you know, almost all um, the lithium processing and, and for other minerals as well happens happens in China. Um, and interestingly, we've seen. Um, processing come on in australia but it's taken longer than expected and it's been more 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 expensive than than forecast um and this week uh u.s producer albemarle says it's going to build a processing plant in in the u.s um and there's plans um to build by north vault to build one in europe you know so stuff stuff's happening but i think uh you know, we've got to come terms with this notion of greenflation right things that if yeah. we want to if we want to reshore um, it's going to probably cost more, right? We're not going to do things at the same cost the Chinese do. So that's also a sort of risk to the supply chain. Um, and I suppose one of the issues which people don't like talking about, but if they bring in onshore lithium processing, I imagine it's probably quite polluting, correct me if I'm wrong, um, and it's probably quite industrial. And, and therefore, a lot of people you know, won't like having lithium processing plants turn up in their backyard. 
Well, I think, yeah, this, this is a question, you know, in, um, in China, it has traditionally been um, that way, you know, when I visited, you know, one plant in China, you know, has been powered by coal. Um, you know, obviously, that's, that's, that's not very pleasant. Um, it looks like a typical sort of Chinese um, industrial plant. Um, yeah, whether you could build that, you know, right bang in the middle of the home counties, whatever, I'm not sure. But <laughs> the, 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 the advantage of starting from scratch um, in Australia and Europe is you could build something a bit, a bit cleaner. Um, okay. And, you know, uh, that's what, that's what companies like Northfall, which I said want to build, um, you know, Europe's largest lithium plant, they say it's going to be sustainable, powered by, you know, renewable energy. So we can imagine um, a better sort of model um, going forward. But I think for, for the West, the real problem is on, on the mining side, um, you're right, like in the US, um, there's a lot of opposition to, yep. to mining, right? And you've got this fundamental conflict, which is that lots of communities don't want mines. Um, and President Biden has said, we want mining, but only if it's super sustainable um, and respects, you know, um, native native rights, native lands. So you know, it's very tricky to build a mine um, in the West, especially in the US and, and Europe now. So that's 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 a fundamental issue. We'll come back to Cornwall in a minute. Yeah, yeah. We could, <laughs> uh, we could do it in Cornwall. Um, uh, then I suppose we move up the value chain, we go past lithium and we go to, to the batteries themselves. And yeah. I think it's, it's worth just emphasizing how many of them are made in China. Um, so for full disclosure... <clears throat> I'm a non-exec director of Gresham House Energy Storage. We we buy batteries. Quite a lot of our batteries come from China. We're not unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, there are quite big Chinese companies. Who are the big players in the, in the battery market at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating story because, um, you know, you look at the lithium-ion battery history, you know, it's a chemistry that was, you know, really invented in Oxford. Um, the Japanese <laughs> sort of commercialized it, which is yep. a huge, important step. Um, and then the Chinese um, in the late 90s kind of got into this market and it was part of that globalization story where it shifted to the lowest cost, um, cheapest labor market, right? And China ended up producing batteries for mobile phones, you know, the iPhone yeah. came along, MP3 players. And then, you know, when, when China became serious about EVs, these companies moved up the value chain. And so now you've got BYD and, and CATL, two big battery producers. If you look at their histories, they both started really um, making mobile phone batteries um, back in the day. And now they're making big electric vehicle batteries and, and they're leaders um, in the field. But not only that, we see other Chinese companies coming very quickly up, up behind them. Um, you know, uh, and, and these, these Chinese battery companies are keen to expand overseas. Um, so you've got CATL, which is the world's biggest battery company. Um, it's, it's got a plant in Germany. It's opening a plant in Germany. Um, this week, uh, another one, Gotian, uh, Guoshuan, Gotian High Tech, um, building a plant in Germany and it wants to have a third of its capacity overseas by 2025. So you've got these big, well capitalized Chinese companies, um, you know, dominating the Chinese market and coming overseas as well. So, is there is there any country apart? I mean, South Korea's got a quite a vibrant uh, battery market, and the Chinese, Japanese did as well. Is it, or is it really just a dominant Chinese game? No, you're exactly right. I mean, uh, China produces around 
79% of battery cells today. Um, it'll go down to about 70% by 2030-ish. That's that's what we forecast um, benchmark mineral intelligence. Um, but you're right. You've got um, LG uh, of, yep. of South Korea spun off its battery arm, listed on the stock exchange. It's it's moving fast. It's raising, you know, it's raised capital. It's it's moving quickly. Um, you're right. You've got other South Korean uh, companies. You've got Panasonic of Japan, obviously yeah. a long time uh, Tesla supplier. But but still, um, as I said, China's like 70% of, of the market. And I, I think, um, you know, the issue is that the Chinese players, you know, they can build gigafactories cheaper than, you know, what we're seeing um in the US and Europe and 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 East Asia actually is, is very expensive in terms of gigafactories, much more expensive. So the Chinese have got the, the cost down and and the scale, obviously. The bigger a factory, the the cheaper it is. So you know, I'm not saying you know, we're not saying they're gonna dominate all the market, but it's gonna to be tough competition. I, I just a left field question, just following on for that Chinese issue. We've seen with Russia how when you do a, an economic break, it can be quite, you know, it can be quite a break. Yeah. I mean, for argument's sake, let's just say China did invade Taiwan. May not happen. We all hope it doesn't happen. Uh, could the West actually say, well, you know what, we're just not going to trade with China, particularly around batteries? Would we basically shoot ourselves in the foot? Yeah, I think... Um you know, it's an interesting question. I, I, I think you know Russia is nothing like the economy that, that China is. No, I mean, it's just no no, no, no comparison, no, right? No and comparison. obviously, Russia's big in oil, but you know, it's not big in in clean energy technologies or or these things. So, you know, China is a different uh, ball game. But you know, what's also interesting is China has really gained out of globalization. And and in this book, you know, what's interesting is a lot of these companies were supported by by the West, right? And mm. If you look at CATL, world's biggest battery company, it was BMW that got them first to produce electric vehicle batteries. BMW that bought the first orders that created this this giant, right? And and Western capital has supported the, a lot of these Chinese companies. So, you know, China has a big um, has done well out of globalization and has a big um, interest, I would say, in 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 this system. So, you know. Surely, any calculation of of theirs over Taiwan is going to take take that into consideration. They're looking at what's happened with Russia and Ukraine um, very, very closely. Um, you know, you can bet on that. Um, I mean, they they are stressing more self reliance, more you know, yeah. relying on themselves. But I just don't, you know, I just don't see it. I, I see that they've been great beneficiaries of of what's yeah. going on. And as I say, these companies want to expand in in foreign markets. So, do they want to? completely upset the relationship i don't probably don't think so especially not with europe um let's lithium ion is a dominant technology um the, the, every once in a while you hear people talk about alternative uh, battery technologies yeah. um are, uh, i talk to people in the industry they're not convinced about the alternative battery technologies at least not at scale anyway yeah uh, what's your view on the, the, there are all, you talk to every lots of scientists and they always go oh, i've got my latest technology solid state batteries all sorts you know a million there are a million and one different ideas out there are any of them even close to being commercially scalable yeah so i think it's interesting because you've got a lot of startups um you know with new technologies but i think the big players are not standing still right and people like catl lg you know they have big r&d teams they're working on on new chemistries so you know, I wouldn't put it past them to commercialize some of these new chemistries. And I think what we're seeing is, um, 
CATL talked about sodium iron. They're they're trying to commercialize that, I think, next year. So right. you know, that's sort of from out of nowhere to commercialization. It takes a big battery company to do it, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. I put my money on them uh, doing it. And then we're seeing, um, you know, solid state. We're seeing, we're getting semi-solid state first. And then we'll probably move to solid state um, by the end of the decade. Um but again, the question is like, is it going to be these small startups doing it, or the or the big battery companies who already have internal R and D? Um, you know, so then you put your on, money on the big guys. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Um, but yeah, so are the, there are these new chemistries coming down down the pipe. Um, but the thing is, they have to, you know, they have to reach scale. Um, yeah. They also have to have their own supply chains built up. You know, solid yeah. state. You know, if you replace the liquid electrolyte with something else, you know, what's that supply chain look like for that material? Is it low cost? You know, how, is it available, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you might replace one raw material, but you you might replace it with another that has a, a different supply chain. Um, so scaling up is like the fundamental issue, right? We're yeah. talking about we need to reduce emissions from the transportation sector, which is vast, right? Which is just massive. So to make any difference, um, you know, these new technologies need to be scaled up um, quickly. And, yeah. yeah. Well, and and also, just make a final point about technology. Yeah. Which is one of the most brilliant, one of the most effective technologies is these LFP batteries, which is actually yeah. reviving an old technology, um, an old battery chemistry, right? So that's a sort of fascinating example of through engineering work, engineering tweaks, um, you can really make an old technology work better. So it's not always a case of, you know, a scientist in a lab being Eureka found an amazing new chemistry. Maybe it's a engineering uh, problem as well. Um, look at the other the minerals, the other minerals, uh, metals used in the processes. Um, let's bring to let's come to cobalt. Cobalt's always got a, a kind of spotty history. Um, yeah. Leverley instantly talks about the, De- the Democratic Republic of Congo um, and all those, all those co- cobalt miners. Can we yeah. have kind of guilt-free cobalt? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I'd say yes, we can. I mean, you have um, so you have a lot of this informal mining um, in the DRC, um, which is not regulated. Um, you know, can include child labour, bad safety standards. But at the same time, you have um, big mining companies there. You know, Glencore being one, mm-hmm. um, China Molly, which is a Chinese miner, being another. Um, there are a few others, right? And when you go there, these these big mines are behind massive uh, security gates. They're really like um, cities unto themselves. They're warded yep. off. They have perimeter guards. Um, you know, so within that could be a mine in 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 any country, right? And and the question is, um, the problem has been um, that sometimes the informal miners break into or often they do break into the mining uh, sites and, and mine on the, uh, the big mines, you know, and then you have this issue where, you know, if they, if there's an accident, which is what happened yeah. on the Glencore site, you know, then, it, then it's sort of mixing the two worlds in a way. And, th- and that means that if a car company said, I want to source cobalt from this one mine, I want to guarantee it's um, not touched in formal mines and that, then that becomes a problem. So, it is possible, but you have these sort of complications. Um, but, you know, what we're seeing now is also companies are auditing and visiting their mine sites more than ever before. Um, you know, like Tesla's visiting the mines now frequently to see what's going on. So, you know, there is much more awareness of, of what's going on. 
And on the other hand, the DRC government wants to clear, clean up this informal sector and try to regulate it. Huge challenge, but there's, there's sort of change happening. And are there any other countries that could produce enough cobalt? We talked about Australia with lithium. Anybody could rival DRC in, in cobalt? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because in Indonesia, which um, I talk yeah. about in the book, is obviously a big nickel producer. That nickel also comes okay. with cobalt. So there's a cobalt um, supply from, from Indonesia. Um, so that's actually going to come, come to the market. Australia, um, as you mentioned, uh, as well. Um, uh, we, Glencore, you just mentioned them. I suppose if one were to sit down and look at the kind of key players in this revolution, obviously Tesla, everybody talks about Tesla. In the West, sorry, in the West. Everybody talks about Tesla. Glencore's in a pretty powerful position, isn't it? Um, it's got a lot of, it's got quite a few of the minerals and metals that we need. Yeah, yeah it's a fascinating story, uh, Glencore, because... You know, it's gone from a company with, uh, you know, that you know, it's obviously a big coal producer, um, yeah. commodity trader. It's gone from a company with quite an interesting uh, background to one now that's that is and is trying and wants to be even more at the heart of sort of this yeah. electric vehicle supply chain. So you have this fascinating uh, transition because they're big producer, you know, biggest producer of cobalt, uh, big producers of uh, nickel, and they're also many people don't know they also recycle um, yeah. a lot of materials. So, you know, they're they're deeply involved. They have um, supply agreements with with Tesla, um, you know, and uh, and I remember one of them telling me that you know they want to become Tesla's procurement arm. You know, that's the <laughs> that's ambition. So they've transitioned from. You know, to to a company being at the heart of the EV supply chain, they they've pledged to sort of cap their um, coal production. Um, obviously, they're making lots of money out of coal now, um, but the question really for them is all about what how they're going to expand, right? You know, how they're going to expand nickel, um, these other things to to capitalize on their position. Um, you just mentioned nickel. Nice segue. Um, nickel is an underestimated uh, metal that's used in the whole energy transition. I don't. How important is Indonesia to it? Because obviously we know about nickel and Russia, which less said the better of, I suspect. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, but Indonesia is is quite a big player, isn't it? I mean, yeah, how, how important? Central Indonesia is going to provide the you know the most of the supply growth this decade for nickel, and it's becoming the hotspot, the centre uh, for nickel for for EVs, um, and that's because it's got you know it's got the biggest um, resources. Um, but the problem is just the, the sort of environmental uh, yeah. footprint of, of the nickel. And it's fascinating because Indonesia has become a sort of nickel colony of China. And, and what happened was um, Indonesia, to their credit, said, well, we don't want to, a few years ago, we don't want to just be exporting uh, raw nickel ore. You know, we want to become a value-add processing uh, center. Yeah. So so they, they banned, you know, exports of raw nickel ore. And the Chinese answered the, uh, you know, answered the call wholeheartedly, and they invested in massive and, you know, industrial parks and nickel processing um, in Indonesia. Um, but at the same time, coal powers sixty percent of Indonesia's electricity grid, um, and these are super energy intense uh, projects. Um, so you've got a huge um, sort of dilemma, which is the nickel is going to come from Indonesia, but how do you clean it up? Um, you know, and car makers just face no choice but to to go to Indonesia um, to get their nickel. And I think we're going to see Tesla and others will have to go to Indonesia to to secure nickel. We've seen uh, Volkswagen agree to do a deal to to invest in um, nickel in Indonesia alongside Chinese companies. So 
you know, I think it's a huge problem. You know, that's where the nickel is, but you've got to somehow clean it up. And is that possible? Um, you know, my book's all about consumers being aware of the supply chain so that we can try and, you know, put pressure, try to try to make it a better supply chain. So let, let's see what happens. Uh, let's just towards the end, just turn to the how the West deals with it. I mean, I suppose a slightly eccentric answer is we could do it all in Cornwall, couldn't we? Because actually, <laughs> there is a there is a bit of a renaissance of Cornish mining. Thank God, um, a great industry which was humbled yeah. a couple of decades ago. Do you, do you think it's realistic that we could get some of the lithium or some of these th- some of this stuff from from Cornwall? Yeah, I do. I mean, you know, it's interesting what's going on at the moment because with these high lithium prices. I think I said at the beginning that the, the China um, is is turning to its own domestic resources. Um, you know, China is not a huge producer of lithium domestically. They import a lot from Australia, as I said. Um, but with these high prices, they're turning to sort of lower grade resources in China. So why why don't we look in the UK to see what mm. we have? Um, there's no reason why we can't um, produce lithium. And Cornwall has this, as you say, like thousands of years of mining history it's not necessarily um a community or an area that's hostile to mining um you know let's try and have a look what we have and i'm not saying we're going to be the next australia or you know big producer but you know we can produce let's see what we can produce right and and at these high prices um why not why not why not give it a go um and i think there's also new technologies um that can be tried um, you know, Cornwall has lots of geothermal, um, yeah. so you can, you know, generate geothermal electricity and get lithium. That's um, what they're trying in other places in the world. So, I'd say, um, you know, let, let's try it. Why not? Um, just sticking with Western Europe on a bigger scale, we are seeing excited talk of gigafactories everywhere. Northfolk, you've mentioned, which yes. I think is Sweden, isn't it? Um, but there's also British Vault, and um, yeah. sure, sure, there'll soon be an Irish Vault, Welsh Vault, and Scottish Vault. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, is this all a bit late, or, sh- or or is it, or is it worth doing, or is just that there's just enough demand out there that it will take all comers? Yeah, so I think it is late. Um, I think the UK faces a real issue, which is that it is late um, and we risk losing our auto industry because we have this deal with the EU where, you know, certain amount of um, components have to be made in the UK um, before they're exported. So I think it is late, but we are seeing, um, you know, companies like British Vault are, are doing all they can, right? And they're moving fast to to build. Um, Envision, which is a Chinese company, took over the Nissan battery factory in the UK. I think that's the only gigafactory. They're, they're planning a big expansion. Um, so, you know, that's promising. They're a big, big, well-capitalized uh, company. And and British Vault looks looks very promising as well. But you did see uh, the Climate Change Committee um, warn this week that, you know, the UK uh, needed way more gigafactories um, to, to, meet, to meet the demand. Um, and I think they're saying, you know, 100... 40 gigawatt hours um by 2030 um so you know there's big expansion needed to come um last couple of questions um recycling i think this is fascinating isn't it you know we we can't really just carry on endlessly mining uh planet earth and at some point you do start run out stuff i mean we're probably a long way away from that yet in most of the the metals and minerals are talking a bit about but recycling could be a huge bit of this industry couldn't it and um, you mentioned glencore already muscling in uh how big the potential is and who are the key players there yeah so recycling i think is going to be um 
you know, very promising and potentially by, um, by, um, by mid century, you know, you could, you could see a situation where reliance on mining is considerably reduced, right? But in the next, but, but then the next, um, you know, in the immediate near term, um, you're going to need mining. So recycling isn't a panacea, you know, you you see politicians saying, oh, we'll, we'll focus on recycling. It's not, it's not going to solve all the problems. You're going to need mining. Um, but recycling is, is, is gearing up, you know, especially in China, um, you know, and they're getting, they're starting to get sort of meaningful volumes um, back. So I think there's, there's huge potential for, for recycling. But part of the problem um, for Europe is, you, you know, traditionally a lot of uh, old cars used to get exported to Ukraine or other countries, right? So if EVs might last much longer than we think, right? So the question is, how do you get that battery back um, at the end of life, right? To, yeah, to be recycled. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's the issue. Um, you know, how, how are we going to set up this system um, to work? Um, but is, much, is there anyone, is there anyone really uh, blazing a trail there? Yeah, as I say, I think China, again, on recycling is, is pretty far ahead. Um, you know, they've, they've got big facilities, they've got um, collection, collection points, etc. But, you know, we're seeing, um, you know, Europe, you've got Umicore, um you know, Northvolt has pledged to use a very high percentage of recycled materials in its batteries. And in America, um, I talk about in the book, you know, Redwood Materials, which is set up by the Tesla co-founder, yeah. and they, they have big, big aims for big goals for recycling too. So, so it's happening. But the question, the problem is getting a hold of um, the batteries. And I think we are going to see um, electric vehicles last much longer than people think. That's the other thing. Batteries are getting better, right? And how often do people drive, right? You know, people don't drive that much, right, often. So we could see these vehicles, these batteries lasting um, a long time. <coughs> Sorry. Uh, one last question to finish with, Henry. Um, what a, If you're an investor in this space, it's, it's quite confusing because most, most people have tended to put their money in Tesla because it's the easy stock to buy. Yeah. It's the clear play. And that clearly is a, a volatile stock, to put it rather mildly. Um, it's quite difficult to play the rest of the market, isn't it? Because it's actually, it's quite fragmented. You can't invest in the Chinese. Well, you could if you're a Chinese yeah. investor, but it's it's not easy. It's put it that way around. Um, you, you know, the big Japanese companies have got have got other interests. So you quite often see battery funds yeah. invest, big holdings in Panasonic, for instance. But Panasonic's a big diversified company and batteries are only a bit of it. It's quite a tricky bit. And then you end up with small cap miners, which yeah. of course have their own downside. Uh, talk about volatility so it's actually very tricky for investors to get a handle on this space isn't it because it's it's either tesla or find a way of investing in china or it's minnows at the bottom and sort of in the between you're sort of you know vw loves to talk a good game about electrification (coughs) but it's got a huge other business going on as well how can invest how can and should investors play this space well i think you know it's, it's going to be huge this space right and i think you're right that Right now, a lot of opportunities are in, in China. Um, but, you know, some of those are Hong Kong listed, right? Um, you know, two of China's uh, biggest lithium companies, one of them is listed in Hong Kong, one is going to list in Hong Kong this month. Um, you know, so there are there are listed companies in Hong Kong, um, mainland China. But then I think um, what we're going to see in the West is, along with what I'm talking about, is some of these small companies are going to grow um, Yeah. 
bigger, right? And then some companies like Northvolt, perhaps they'll they'll list, right? I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see companies like that um, that have become bigger um, list list on the stock exchanges. Um, and then we're going to see some of these um, mining companies you're talking about also become bigger, right? And and also yeah. become become more established. Um, and and then we're going to see, you know, there are these there are listed uh, battery startups. You know, maybe some of them some of them will succeed or commercialize and and, and get bigger. Um, obviously, that's more risky, um, more risky investment. But I think um, there's lots of growth to be seen, and lots of lots of companies that that will get bigger. I think the problem is, you know, we saw Johnson Matthey in the UK pull out of this business, yeah. Yeah. and that's because it is a very very competitive um, business, and margin pressure is is quite real. And I was I was talking about you know higher raw material prices are putting pressure on battery producers' margins, right? And you know, with all this Chinese investment, with all these Chinese companies. You know what tends to happen in China is is intensely competitive, um, and then you start to get state-backed companies um, getting involved. Right, we see another battery producer coming up in China called CALB, right, like CATL, which is it's like an alphabet soup of sorry CABL CALB oh, CALB sorry, and that's more state-backed. You know, so competition is just so intense um, in China, and that often drives margins down. Right, we might have battery producers selling. Uh, lost to gain market share, etc. So it's it's a very tricky um, market for investors. But I do think we will see in the West companies um, that do eventually list, like Northvolt, maybe Redwood Materials, um, these sort of emerging uh, companies. Um, you've got Umicore is a big one in, yeah. in the European battery supply chain. Uh, I mean, I'm not giving any investment yeah, recommendation. Yeah, I'm yeah just absolutely. Saying, yes, I'm just saying there are there are sort of um, opportunities um, opportunities around. Lovely. Thank you very much, Henry. All right. Thanks for having me.